So let's talk about deacons for a few minutes. My, uh, I had a good friend uh, in my late teenage years at the uh, Davis Chapel Baptist Church in Austell, Georgia. We changed pastors. Uh, uh, um, Talmadge Chandler, the pastor that baptized me, moved on to another place. We got Clyde Wade Sr. came in. His son, Clyde Wade Jr., became a good friend of ours. And we were a very tight-knit youth group. And Clyde Wade Sr., his father, was probably one of the best pastors I've, I've been around. Preacher, eh, pastor, he was dynamite. He was about the best pastor I've ever seen. He was, he was a very soft-spoken man, and he had a very genuine humility about him. And, and the soft-spoken part, what I mean by that is that he never raised his voice. I never saw him angry. I never saw him lash out at anybody in anger, but he preached the same way, which is why I said preaching, eh, he just preached like he was talking to you. And even when he was really excited, he still just preached like he was talking to you. But the man was a good man. You could count on him to listen to you with kindness. He did something that I try to emulate. When you talk to Clyde, you were the only one in his world. There could be a million people around clamoring for his presence. But when you were talking to Clyde, you were the most important person in his life. That's a good quality. That's a very good quality to have. So Clyde, to giving you all that background, 4th of July Sunday, Clyde steps into the pulpit. He starts off doing his sermon like he always does, just the normal kind of cadence that he has. And in the sermon, he hadn't been in it too awfully long, in the sermon he, he says... I'm suddenly not feeling well. I don't believe I'll be able to go on. And then he walks out the door, and they had a little side door like we do, and he went out the side door. Now, because of his delivery style, it took us probably 30 seconds to realize he wasn't preaching the gospel. He was saying he was sick. And so, ah, and everybody, so you hear the murmur, you know, going on the congregation. A couple of people went out the door. A few, a few minutes later, a gentleman comes back in and he steps into the pulpit and he says that Brother, Brother Wade has fallen ill but I think he's going to be all right. They sent him home to, to, be, um, to rest for a little while. But since it was the 4th of July, he felt like, this gentleman that stepped into the pulpit said, he felt like we ought to talk about God and country this morning. And so he proceeds to start preaching. And he preached a really, really good sermon. I mean a really good sermon. So much so good that the congregation sort of got lit up and they got into this sermon. This man stood up with no preparation, with no notes, and he had absolutely no fear as he stood there and delivered a 30-minute sermon on God and country. That man was my Uncle Jerry Stevens. My Uncle Jerry Stevens probably was, probably still is the greatest deacon that I have ever met. Jerry Stevens loves his church. He loves doing things for his church. He loves the people that make up the church. That's who Jerry Stevens is. And he left Davis Chapel Baptist Church. They moved to Carrollton. He joined a church there, immediately dove into it, just like he had been as, as involved as he had been at Davis Chapel, Jerry was a great deacon. Jerry still is a great deacon. Now, what makes him great? What makes a deacon great? Deacons are men 
who are ordained by God to come in and save the day. Now you're going, Randy, that's, that's hyperbole. Eh, in a sense, but not really. Deacons are men who are ordained by God to come in and save the day. That's big shoes to fill, but that's what they're called to do. Scripture I said was from uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We read 1 through 4. Let me read the whole thing for you again. It says, now in those days, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, the whole church, and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Just as an aside, and it means nothing. That's the first time I've read those names and not stumbled over them. I practiced and practiced and practiced. I'm patting myself on the back. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is the picture that the Bible paints of the first deacons. And the situation is just this, and it's not a situation that we would be unfamiliar with in the modern day church. The church was very young at that time. It was growing very, very quickly. It was adding uh, adding lots and lots of people to it. And they were a very, very close group. You had to understand a little bit about the context of where they were. They were, in the eyes of those people, they were starting a brand new religion. And as such, starting this brand new religion, even though we know it's a fulfillment of of Judaism, Christianity is, starting this new religion, everybody in the community thought there was something a little whacked about these people. And it made it hard to do business. It made it hard to live for some of them. So life wasn't that easy for these early Christians. And the Bible says that in this church, in Acts 3, there was not a needy person among them Not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, here's what happened that caused the need for the deacons. I want you to think about this. Now, think about the story. Think about when you read the Scripture. Don't just read the words. Think about what that scripture is saying. Think about the situation that it's talking about and what all these little things mean. He says that owners of land and houses sold them and donated the proceeds from those sales to the apostles. Owners of houses and land. These people weren't selling candy bars. They weren't selling donkeys. They weren't selling doves. They were selling property. When somebody sells property, what does that tell you? It tells me money. That's right, money. (laughs) 
When you, if you're selling something small, you get something small back from it generally. But when you're selling land and you're selling houses, you're, sell, you're selling something that's going to bring back a bundle of money. You're not keeping it for yourself. You're taking it and laying it at the feet of apostles, laying that bundle of money at the feet of these preachers that are going to take that bundle of money and they're going to parcel it out to the congregation as the congregation has need so they've got enough to live on. They're going to make sure they're fed, going to make sure their needs are met. Sounds very admirable, but as a pastor, I'm telling you right now, that is a recipe for disaster. Don't want my hands and your money. Have I told you the joke which you will absolutely not appreciate? I had a pastor that was mentoring me, and he said, Son, let me help you understand. There are two things you don't mess with. You don't mess with a man's money, and you don't mess with a man's wife. And if you absolutely have to mess with one of them, mess with his wife, because he'll eventually forgive you for that one. <laughs> don't want to be handling the money. Here this money is, being all of this money being laid at the apostles' feet. Now, church is growing like crazy. Keep this in your mind. Church is growing like crazy. People are selling property, bringing in the money, laying it before the disciples to distribute to the, to the congregation. A lot of new people are being saved from all sorts of different cultures. The apostles are from a Jewish background. They, you know, they've, they've come up, they were with Jesus, they were from a Jewish background. Some of these people that are being saved are Greek-speaking Jews, and these folks come from a different background altogether. Those two backgrounds don't think the same way. They can get along just fine, but that's like a marriage of a Republican and a Democrat, and one's on this end of the spectrum, one's on that end of the spectrum. You can get along, but in some situations, you're going to butt heads. And that's where they were. The run-of-the-mill Jew wasn't really concerned about status that much. Not really concerned. Maybe they could sit at the gate and be one of the elders, but as, as most of the time, those guys, they're fine just to live their life and go on. The Greeks are like we are. The Greeks are concerned with status. They're concerned with success. They're concerned with being somebody. They're concerned with being respected. And now you can see where things are starting to, can, can start to cause some conflict. We see in verse 1 that in the church, the Hellenists, the Greek speakers, got very upset because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, the Hebrews were showing partiality to these Jewish widows, giving them more rations than what they were given to the Hellenist, wish, Hellenist widows. Essentially, what they're saying is, you're not showing our widows enough attention. That's really what they were saying. They feel like they're not being respected properly. Notice now the scripture never says that they were actually shortchanging anybody. It says it just reports that some people got their feelings hurt. That's what it was. Now let me say this about that right quick. Got their feelings hurt. We always make a big deal. You shouldn't get your feelings hurt in church. It's all about God. We shouldn't get our feelings hurt in church. Let me help you understand something. Two people get together, one of them's going to get their feelings hurt. It is just that simple. In a marriage, you tell me, that you've been married for more than, I don't know, 22 minutes. <laughs> and somebody hadn't got their feelings hurt, and I'm going to lean back and look at you like you've got four heads. Really? Uh-huh. And you lie to the preacher all the time? Right. 
We all know good and well where two people get together, somebody eventually is going to get their feelings hurt because we have expectations. We have things that we think we deserve, we should have, we should get, and that this other person, even though we never told them this, this other person should deliver it. It's no different in the church. So-and-so got their feelings hurt. Okay, that's not a surprise. Somebody's going to get their feelings hurt in the church. That's life. The problem is not in getting your feelings hurt because your feelings are going to get hurt at some point. The, the point is, how do you handle that? When your feelings get hurt, how do you handle that? And we've got these Greek-speaking widows over here who have their feelings hurt, and the way they're handling it is they're telling some people who are telling some people, and they're starting to rumble in the church, and pretty soon we're going to have ourselves a called conference, and we're going to have a free-for-all. And God steps in, and he talks, he, he inspires these disciples to start something new. He calls, in verse 2 it says, the disciples call everybody together. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. And I want you to stop right there and think about something. I don't know how many times that we've heard that deacons started as servers in the Christian restaurant. You know, like when we ordained these four guys this morning, we will have 27 active deacons. And if we follow this model, these deacons ought to come down on Wednesday night to our fellowship meal. They should all put on some cute little aprons that their wives pick out. They should run around the fellowship hall making sure that all of the widows are fed the same amount. Notice the scripture doesn't say the entire body. It talks about the widows. It talks about those that are needy. But let me ask you this. See if this makes sense to you. If all they needed was seven men that could run around and make sure that every widow had four chicken strips and a glass of tea, why in the world do we have verse Three, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. If all they needed was an apron, a good memory, and an eye for an empty glass, why did these men have to be such spiritual guys? You know, I'm not knocking servers. I wouldn't be a server. <laughs> there is no way. Number one, I couldn't remember. I, I would leave the table and be two steps away, and then I'd have to come back and say, what did you order again? And you know, I'd get no tips, and that'd just be it. I couldn't do that job. But I'm not, I'm not knocking servers, but at the same time, there's a skill set for servers, and I don't see that in most servers' job description, that they're required to be this spiritual of a person to be a server. These men... They were ordaining these seven men to be more than a tea pourer, more than a busboy, more than a guy that goes around and counts chicken strips. Think back. What was being laid at the apostles' feet? Money. Tons of money are being laid at the apostles' feet. And what's it to be used for? It's to be used for ministry, making sure that everybody had enough, making sure that the needy, making sure that the weakest members of the congregation were loved on like they were supposed to be loved on. Now, 
Serving tables? Yeah, that's part of it here. The word that, that, that's used here is diakonane in the Greek. You can hear deacon come out of it. Diakonane, diaka, deacon, you hear it coming out of it. But that word has a nuance to it. It doesn't mean just table server. It means a person who renders a personal sacrificial service. In Acts 6, 2, it refers to someone who supervises the meal. That means that they take the money, they buy the food, they see that it's prepared, they see that it's cooked, they see that it's served to everybody, that it's served to everybody like everybody has need, that it's cleaned up after it's over. If there's leftovers, that's taken care of, and they get ready for the next meal because at that time, that was their benevolence program. The deacons at that time were appointed to be the people in charge of executing the entire benevolence program of that congregation. What kind of man do you need in charge of that? What kind of man do you need to be in charge of taking large sums of money and using that to meet the needs of hungry and hurting people? Scripture says you need a man of good repute. That's somebody that everybody respects, somebody that's free from scandal, has no skeletons in their closet, somebody who's considered a person of integrity, who is well thought of everywhere he goes, who is the kind of man that somebody walks up and he says, you know, I think Deacon Billy Bob and people will do this. I think Deacon Billy Bob really isn't doing this like he's supposed to. And the person that hears that because of Billy Bob's reputation looks at him and says, then you obviously don't know Billy Bob. Because Billy Bob don't play that way. Billy Bob don't act that way. Billy Bob is a man of good repute. He has a good reputation, not just in the church, everywhere he goes. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this too, but I get used to trouble. When we were having our deacon examination, two men spoke up about Brother Byron Farmer. Now, the first thing we could have said about Brother Farmer was, well, that was his job. But then we listened to these men talk about Mr. Farmer, and we find out that, yeah, Mr. Farmer was doing his job when he helped these people out, but he went over and above. He did more than was required. He made sure something extra was done. A man of good repute is what I heard. That's what we're talking about. Full of spirit and full of wisdom, full of spirit. Men who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, who exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, who can tell people while they're ministering to them that God is with them, that God's presence is there, that they need to be saved if they're not saved, that they need to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that Jesus Christ can change their life, that Jesus Christ has changed their own personal lives, who can tell people who Jesus is, and they understand Jesus. Men of wisdom who can discern who is really needy, who really needs help, who needs to be encouraged, and who needs to go away. Because sometimes the best way to help somebody is to tell them that I'm not giving you something for free. You're capable. Let me show you where to get a job. Let me show you how to make your own living. That is a hard conversation. Deacons have to have that ability. So the church followed the apostles' direction. What happened? What happens when we do what God has directed us to do, when he has clearly laid out 
This is how you should live your life. This is what you should do. When we do those things, what happens? Well, the apostles were able to return to their first love of prayer and ministry of the word. And then we hear in verse 7 that the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, those guys who were leaders in the Jewish church, were saved and brought to the faith. What happens when a deacon answers their calling with all of their heart? Division in the body disappears. Unity takes its place. The needy are cared for. The needy are made to feel special. The church runs in harmony. And the Holy Spirit calls out to people to be saved. And people are saved. They trust Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit moves their heart, They trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's why Jesus set it up that way. What do we say deacons are? Deacons are men who are ordained by God to come in and save the day. Men of good repute who are full of the spirit and of wisdom can do that very thing. That first church was about to explode because somebody got their feelings hurt. And seven men were appointed and it all went away. That's what deacons are supposed to do. Could we have our four candidates join me up here and take a seat on the platform? Don't you know these guys feel real comfortable right now? (laughs) Mr. Byron Farmer, if you would stand, please, sir. This is Byron Farmer. His wife's name is Nellene. He has three grown children, Melissa, Jeff, and Dwayne. Mr. Farmer is retired, and he's been a member of First Baptist for eight years. Thank you, sir. Mr. Wesley Griswell, his wife's name is Tracy. He has one grown son, Brandon, and a daughter, Shana, who's a junior at Jones County High School who won their playoff game the other day. You can have a seat, sir. Jeff Pruitt. His wife's name is Tina, who sang for us just a few moments ago. He has two children, Taylor, who's a fifth grader. I thought you were older than that young lady. And Jordan, who is in pre-K. You just look bigger, okay? (laughs) All right, Jeff. And this is Jim Tibbetts. His wife's name is Barbara. He has four children. Joshua and Jacob are eighth graders at Gray Station Middle School. Lauren is recently married to Brad Dunn. They're active members here at First Baptist. And their son, Tyler, is serving our country as a United States Marine. Thank you, Jim. We're here today to ordain these four men as deacons, not only at First Baptist Church, but once they are ordained as deacons, they are deacons everywhere they go. If they ever leave this place and go to another Baptist church, they are still an ordained deacon. We are ordaining them as deacons. Their names were submitted to this fellowship Uh, The names were submitted to the current fellowship of deacons by you, the congregation, by secret ballot. Each name was reviewed by a selection committee that consisted of three people chosen by the chairman of the deacons and three people that were chosen by me as outlined in the First Baptist Church bylaws. And each eligible candidate was contacted by a member of that committee and asked to serve. These four men had to sit before an examination committee of all of the deacons a week or so ago, 
The deacons approved them, set their name forth to the church. They were submitted to you in conference last Wednesday night, and all were approved to be deacons. So now we're standing here solemnly in the presence of God to set these men apart for God's service. I want to ask you four gentlemen to stand, please. I'm going to ask you to answer one at a time after I give you this charge. Do you promise to strive to so live that you may honor Christ by your life? And do you promise in the presence of this congregation to accept the responsibility of the office of deacon of this church and to the best of your knowledge and ability to discharge all of the duties of this office? Mr. Farmer? Mr. Griswell? Mr. Pruitt? Mr. Tibbetts? Congregation of the First Baptist Church of Gray, do you as members of this church acknowledge these men as deacons of this church? Do you promise to encourage and pray for them in their office and to cooperate with them in the fulfillment of the mission of this church? If you do so, please respond by saying amen. amen. At this time, I'd ask each of you to kneel facing the congregation. I request that all ordained male deacons and ministers come forward at this time. Gather around these four men and lay your hands upon them as a group. And bow your heads in prayer as Brother Richard Epps leads us all in prayer. Church, Baptist Church has two ordinances. It's baptism, which we witnessed a few minutes ago, and the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Excuse me. We thought it'd be very fitting for our four newly ordained deacon, deacons to serve the Lord's table to the congregation as their very first official act of service at First Baptist Church. So let us join our hearts as brothers and sisters before the Lord at the Lord's table.
We hear Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he, um, when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Sounds pretty harsh there at the end means that we need to take a moment. We need to prepare our hearts for this important ordinance. We need to think about what's in our hearts and what's in our minds and take a moment and make sure that we're right before the Lord before we take communion. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness that's given us our salvation. Thank you for resolutely setting your face to accomplish your goal of redeeming us and giving us eternal life. Through the Holy Spirit, please bring to our minds any sin we have against you or any sin we have with our brothers and sisters. Convict us now. Cause us to repent that we might be restored in our relationships, that we might be worthy to partake of the sacred bread and the sacred juice provided by the sacrifice of your body and your blood. May you be blessed, Lord, and may you bless those who prepared this table for us today. In Christ's name, amen.